Hey, hey, B-toppers. Get ready for an absolutely fascinating episode. This is one of my favorite interviews with Dr. Eric Berg from Bemidji State University. And not only is Dr. Berg a baseball player, an amateur baseball player, he is also a professor of philosophy. And he teaches a fascinating course called From Plato to Jackie Robinson. In this episode, I'm interviewing him about this particular course, and he covers all these small facets of the course that really make it fascinating. If I were in college, I definitely would have loved to have a course like this. So, before we begin, please remember to, as always, to please give us a five-star review on Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to head over to our social media sites. So Facebook and Instagram, you can find us with the handle at Baseballers, the number four in life. So Baseballers for life. And also make sure you head over to YouTube and you can actually watch this interview on YouTube. If you want to see some of the visuals that are put up, Uh, for example, just uh, a picture of Dr. Eric Berg, who looks like Babe Ruth, uh, you can do that by heading heading over to YouTube and searching baseball training for older people and subscribing to that channel. I won't take up any more of your time. Without further ado, I introduce to you Dr. Eric Berg. I've really been looking forward to talking to you. Uh, those pictures you sent me, man, you look like Babe Ruth. Did anybody, has anybody ever said that to you? Yeah, that's come up a few times. Um, yeah, when you get that old uniform on, and I got the jowls going now, and I'm getting a little older and a uh, <laughs> little, uh, you know, heavier build. So, um, yeah, I've got, I've certainly got the um, people making the comment I look like. I'm not sure I hit anything like them, but I certainly <laughs> look like them at times. So. <laughs> so, very cool, very cool. Well, I, I appreciate you taking time out to do this. Um, yeah. Um, I've really found uh, your story just, you know, it's, it kind of, I think maybe uh, Bruce Tomey, that guy knows everybody, but, uh, uh, you know, I found you through some, some kind of mean, someone through here, and you just really found your story interesting, and particularly, particularly your, uh, uh, how you've managed to incorporate uh, this game into your coursework at the college that you teach at. So yeah. So before we begin, with you just tell everybody where you are currently and tell a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I taught at McMurray College, and that's um, one of the last McMurray College jerseys up there. That I became really close friends with every baseball coach that came through McMurray College in the 15 years I was there. And Coach Grana was the last coach and was very generous um, towards the end because that college closed. So the college I taught for for 15 years closed on June 1st, 2020. And I sat out the 2021 academic year. And then now I was hired at Bemidji State University in Minnesota uh, to do essentially the same thing I was at McMurray College, teach uh, philosophy there. So about seven years ago or six years ago, our president of the college wanted senior faculty to um, create some courses that would 
bring freshmen in and hold them in the college. So he wanted some of the real experienced faculty to teach some introduction, introductory level courses that freshmen would want to take or sophomores would want to take, and then they'd have a good experience in the class and, and um, stay with the college. So it was an effort to keep some students in the college. And we got some latitude then in, in creating courses. And I've, I've been involved with baseball my entire life in, in many aspects of it, playing it, umpiring, reading about it, publishing about it. And so I created this course called From um, Plato to Jackie Robinson, uh, Social Political Philosophy in Baseball. And, and what the course does is it takes a look at the history of baseball from uh, the very beginning to uh, the, the modern game today, uh, players that are still active today. And it talks about mostly the outsiders of the game. It, it, it divides the course into several aspects of people that have been excluded from playing Major League Baseball from one way or the other and the importance of understanding that um, and the tragedy that, that certainly has uh, evolved from that sometimes and the way the game has had to struggle from that. So most people know, you know, quite a bit about African-American players being um, kept out of the game, but they usually don't know the complex story behind that, that there were professional black baseball players prior to the formalization of not allowing black baseball players in and then there's a huge dry spell you get the blooming of the negro leagues which you became very familiar with in kansas city there yeah. i love that museum and then you get the jackie robinson piece and then we move forward with that and we take a look at the peak about 1971 72 you get the most african-american players in the game and it's dropping off and it continues to drop off uh, to this day and that raises some good questions for the students. We do uh, gender uh, after that, so we do, we take a look at women in baseball. Again, there were episodic, uh, occasional women playing professional baseball. When I say professional baseball, I don't always mean Major League Baseball, but I do mean paid to play in an organized league where most players are paid to play. So you get some instances of women playing early on in uh, the professional ranks and then you get a uh, de facto ban where women can't play and major league baseball never took the step to ban women but the minor leagues did so if you can't work through the minors we can't play in college the only chances you'd have of being uh, discovered and signed as a woman uh, playing major league baseball prior to the early 90s in fact would be through the amateur ranks and that's almost impossible uh, to do that or maybe the international game would be a way. So we take a look at women in baseball and we take a look at, um, you know, what's keeping women out of baseball. We take a look at the, the athlete, you know, and, and there are some limiting factors in football and basketball, some physical limiting factors where you're just not going to play in the NBA at, if you have, don't have certain physical attributes and the same in NFL. But in baseball, you, it's a lot about mechanics and it's a lot about headspace if you can play well. So it's a very interesting question why women don't play uh, professional uh, baseball after that. And then we, um, you want me to just keep going with the other lists of who we yeah, talk about? Yeah, so we talk about um, women in the sport um, extensively and, and look at um, like Isla Borders. I had just by a complete fluke when Isla Borders pitched for the St. Paul Saints 
Uh, I happened to be going to graduate school, and that ballpark, Midway Stadium, was right down the road where I was going. So I actually saw her pitch in uh, St. Paul, and that was, you know, that's an important landmark event. So you get this creeping in of the possibility of women playing in um, Major League Baseball. One of the most one of the, the section of the class I'm actually the most uncomfortable with teaching is when I start talking about softball. Because I never quite know how to frame it because I usually have 10 or 12 really good softball players in my class. And you don't want to talk about it as a lesser sport. I certainly want to talk about it as a different sport. But, but there's real parallels to, to baseball. And, and you talk about a siphoning of talent, you know, at about age 10 or 12, you get women moved to the softball world and men stay with baseball and then eventually men go to the softball world too, but uh, some of us do. Some of us still continue to play and chip bones and can't walk for two days and <laughs> et cetera. So um, I do know that feeling. So that's, that's where I still have an awful lot of learning to do is what do we do with softball? Do we end it uh, and, and, and funnel women into? The game of uh, of baseball, and of course, there's way too much money invested in the softball world for that to ever happen. Because there's companies that make billions of dollars on selling softball equipment that are geared for the women's games. So that's a that's a really interesting piece of that. Yeah, we talk about. Um, well, go ahead. No, as I say, that softball has also. Uh, I think it's uh, becoming big. You know, cash crop. You know. Uh, it's become uh, a lot of people are just seem, seemingly, anyways, to me, getting more interested in watching it, and and yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, like if uh, I mean, I have enjoyed probably watching more softball than baseball in a lot of ways, just because there's it's such a there's so many nuances to it that yeah. you don't see in baseball, and certain things that my my cousin played on a collegiate level, and there's some things that her dad was telling me that um, I just didn't know was part of the game is really it's really cool so i don't think we're yeah. going to go away no it's not going to go away that's a that's a curious part of that you know it's going to yeah. be parallel to baseball and it's going to take talented people uh yeah. into that uh realm so it, i think it's slowing down the progress of the first uh woman to make the major leagues but even the minor leagues and a contract but you you know you will need that special person you will need that parallel to Jackie Robinson, certainly, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, the next piece we take up is religion in baseball. Um, we look at some interesting um, aspects of some uh, religious groups that have, that have flourished inside of baseball, especially Jewish Americans uh, mm -hmm. that wanted to assimilate, uh, not have this separate identity from the rest of American culture, much like the Irish. So when the Irish immigrated to the United States, there was a lot of uh, discrimination against the Irish, and a lot of fathers wanted their sons to play baseball because that was the American sport. So you get this right. influx of a lot of professional Irish players in like the 1920s, after the potato famine, that next generation, they want to be identified as being American and not necessarily Irish. So the same thing happens with the Jewish population, particularly in New York City, you get this, this wanting to be identified as, as um, sort of integrated into America, despite having a very different religion than most people in the um, west of New York uh, would be Protestant or Catholic. So we talk about that. And then the House of David, I don't know if you've heard about that 
barnstorming team in the 20s and 30s and 40s. They wore the long hair and they had lots of Jewish symbols to them, and very few of the players were Jewish. But this whole barnstorming thing where they tried to get unique players or unique teams together to draw tickets in, that was, um, and, it, and it turned out it has this sort of ironic twist in the end. They marketed themselves somewhat I guess their marketing plan was to be a Jewish baseball team with all the, the look of being very uh, stereotypically Jewish. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that the place that was funding all the baseball turned into a religious cult. One of those crazy yeah. cults that gets really insulated and the leader goes off the rails and, and lots of bad things happen. So there's a, there's a neat, interesting backstory with that. Yeah. Um, we talk about the international player then. Um, is the next area that I go to and, and look at some of the barriers that are um, set up with uh, the access to the major leagues. Uh, there's a really, really good film called Sugar. I don't know if you've seen that film. It's called Sugar. It's like a, it's half a movie, half a documentary, and it and it follows one player from getting um, drafted by the Royals in the Dominican. And it follows him into the minor league system with the Kansas City Royals. And what it really does is highlight, because this poor kid's taken from, you know, this very small town in the Dominican, and then he's transplanted to, like, Lincoln, Nebraska, and is expected to play baseball out there at the same level he did in the DR. But he's, there's nothing about his home that's present in Lincoln, Nebraska. The only thing that he knows anymore is baseball. And, of course, you get in that kind of headspace playing baseball, and it's just it's not a good deal. So we, we look at the, the pressure that's put on international players, the use of a translator, the use of not being able to assimilate into the rest of the team. And then I also take a very close look at that, um, the really curious story of Yasil Puig, uh, his immigration into the United States and the way that um, Major League Baseball clubs can essentially buy people into the United States. So if you have tremendous amount of baseball talent, the whole red tape with becoming a citizen can be um, circumvented by lawyers and by a lot of money. So that we studied the Dodgers and their um, signing of Yasiel Puig and, and bringing him over. Yeah. The next thing we look at is sexual orientation in baseball. We look at Billy Bean and the uh, um, articles of inclusion that Major League Baseball has uh, put a push on for, and, and Billy Bean, of course, is a very articulate uh, leader in baseball, so there's some really great film on Billy Bean, and we, we look at the, the, the issues are getting more and more complicated in the class, because you start with race and gender, and then you go to religion, and then you go to sexual orientation, and, and they get a little more touchy, and of course, we have to talk about issues in the dugout and in the locker room. Uh, with the kind of culture that's that's usually at a baseball dugout or a baseball locker yeah. room and how that is going to affect a particular player uh, along yeah. those lines. You know, like, uh, speaking of that, um, mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I have a hard, I think just, I think just, uh, you know, on the other side of the Me Too movement and everything, and, and uh, I don't uh, slap players on their butts anymore. Yeah, yeah. I don't think any of the guys would have a problem with. I mean, I get. I mean, yeah. every now and then I feel one land on me, and yeah, and it's just, it's just part of baseball culture, right? But it's just, it's just something that I, just, I think just uh, from what I do for a living, and I just, uh, you know, I just fist bump now, or you know, pat him yeah. on the shoulder or something. But uh, yeah, 
So. Exactly. That is a, a, a pretty strong part of baseball culture. And um, yeah, that's, I think COVID is helping maybe uh, move that away too. But yeah, the slap on the butt is something that you're seeing older coaches still do and you see it in the major leagues a little bit and stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's been a while since I've, I've uh, had that. And I've had the pleasure of having women play on um, several of my amateur teams that I play on. Um, so you just yeah. kind of all of a sudden there's a little bit of a culture shift there uh, when that happens. Well, yeah, your course is really cool, and I wish we would have had something like that when I was in school. Um, I know I've been paying attention to your Facebook feed, and there's a there's kind of this whole underground academic world of there is of baseball. I mean, you went to a conference recently. It was just yeah. a baseball conference, right? Yeah, there's two really good academic baseball conferences. One is um, Baseball and Culture and Literature. It's hosted by uh, Ottawa University in Kansas. And um, they bring in like two major speakers a year. Um, J.R. Richard was scheduled to be there this year, but he was sick, of course, when we had it. And then he passed uh, not longer, uh, not long after it. But I met Pedro uh, Martinez, the you know one of the last living um, Negro League players uh, alive. I met Bill James at that conference. And the other really good one is called The Nine, um, just The Nine. It's hosted mostly out of the University of Nebraska. And they host it down in um, spring training every year, usually in Arizona. So you go to some spring training games and there's just, you know, people are, there's all these different sections. They'll talk about women in baseball and early, the early game and et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What's the objective with those conferences? Uh, to bring new research forward, um, to, to you know, to keep unearthing uh, new uh, research about baseball and get some new ideas uh, about baseball out there. Like, for instance, at the Ottawa conference, the paper that I gave at the Ottawa conference, um, the first black professional baseball player in the state of Minnesota happened to be from 25 miles where I grew up. And I grew up in very remote part of Minnesota, the west central part, so uh, right off the North Dakota border in a very small town. But it just happened that a guy named Prince Honeycutt uh, was the first black professional baseball player in Minnesota. 1873 is when he formed a team in Fergus Falls, and it was a paid professional team. Um, and that's remarkable. And that story has not been told. It's just the, you know, it's in the newspaper archives in the local uh, historical society, which is fantastic. The Ottertail County Historical Society is great with that. But he just didn't really get a lot of light put on him yet. So I presented that at um, um, in Ottawa, and I'm going to publish that through the University of Nebraska's press, a little uh, story of his life. And then, like another paper that I saw at the Ottawa conference that was really interesting. A guy did a statistical analysis and he makes the case that the Astros banging with the trash cans didn't help anybody's hitting. He looked at every one of those at-bats where they would find the clear audible evidence of that. And I know, it's just counterintuitive, but that's... Well, well uh, let me speak to that. Um, yeah. The uh, I took that we were doing uh, some spring training stuff this year uh, with our team and one of our really good pitchers um, he was doing bullpen and I just asked him I was like hey I was like uh, do you care if I just if I bat against you you know while you're doing bullpen you know and he goes yeah let me get let me get twenty 
20 good throws in and then I'll do, he'll do his back half. Uh, he'll let me hit, you know, mm-hmm. um, he told, he told me every pitch that was coming. Yeah. And, um, well now I feel pressured to hit yeah. that ball yeah. because yeah. if you know what's coming, you should yeah. be able to hit it in your mind. Right. Yeah. And I had, yeah. I had the hardest time hitting him. Yeah. Uh, because I knew, what, I think it's because I knew what was coming. Yeah, so there's a lot to get psychology. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's you know part of my game back, uh, you know, behind the plate. I I play with some of these guys a lot, and I know a lot about their hitting because we talk about hitting. Because sometimes it doesn't go very well, and when they're playing on the other team, there's one of my particular friends I know. We've talked about hitting a lot. He needs an absolutely clean head when he's up there. Mm-hmm. The, when when he steps in the box, he doesn't want to think about anything. He just wants to see the ball. I'll tell him what's coming. Yeah. You know, I'll get down there and I'll go, it's curveball. And he'll step out and he's like, damn it, Bergie, don't do that. You know, but I'll tell him, you know, we're throwing a curveball. And then that's in his head. And, you know, yeah, so I get that. It does uh, it does put additional yeah. pressure on it. You start thinking about it and then you start looking for it. And then you're all twisted up at that point, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Man, yeah. it was so good having you on here. Or, uh, this is fun. I wish, uh, I hope someday our paths can cross and we can have lunch or something. You know? Yeah. Uh, maybe even play some ball or something together. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, let's stay in touch through this group and for sure. uh, uh, post some videos. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I really do want to cross paths over a beer and then over, uh, you know, over in seven innings or something. It'd be fun, too. It's so awesome, yeah. Appreciate having you. Yes, thank you. We'll see you around, all right? Yep, good night. Well, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Dr. Eric Berg. I know it was fascinating information to me while I was given the interview, so I hope that you found it equally as fascinating. And maybe if you happen to be at Bemidji State University, you can take his course. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off now, but please make sure you head on over to our social media sites and get involved in the action. We have a lot of fun in our Facebook group, Be Top Legends. Um, as well as on Instagram and YouTube. Have a good night and see you back here next time.